You're listening to Language Nerds Do Earth, the podcast about linguistics, culture, travel, and how they're all connected. Now, it's time for your language nerd hosts. One in China, one in Spain, it's Patrice and Rachel. Hello, everybody. I'm Patrice. And I'm Rachel. And welcome to episode... 19. 20. No, episode 20. Yeah, episode 20. Wow, so fast. Look how fast we are. (laughs) Uh, Our topic today is cultural dimensions. What? What is that? I'm excited to dive into that. Yeah, it sounds pretty academic, and it is a bit academic, but they are super interesting. Ever since I learned about the cultural dimensions, I've been a little bit obsessed with them. (laughs) They are, just to give you a little teaser, power distance, individualism, masculinity, uncertainty avoidance, long-term orientation, and indulgence. So how that varies across cultures. Yeah. So that's what we're going to talk about. And though it is a little bit academic, uh, we're going to try and break it down. For sure. So it's more understandable and more relatable, I think. Mm, As we do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And then we have... A really interesting Lost in Translation moment from Rachel in Spain. Woo! <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Actually, Rachel just got back from a trip around Germany for two weeks because she lives in Europe and gets really long vacations. And uh, yeah, so she's going to tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I don't speak German, so there were plenty of... Of lost in translation times. <laughs> or just general lost. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but before we get into our main topic of the day, we have some language news. Yeah, so this is actually, it's like a short. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. A short documentary? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's about a Native American language, North American that is, that has been recorded in a dictionary by the last fluent survivor mm. or the last fluent speaker mm-hmm. of Wukchumni. Wukchumni. Man, I don't know why I can't remember that. Good job. <laughs> it's not necessarily something that you hear all the time. Mm-hmm. And so Wukchumni is a group in the central California region which is part of a broader Yokut tribal group. Mm -hmm. So before the Europeans came, there were as many as 50,000 Yokuts living in the region. And as far as Wokchumni, today it's estimated that there are about 200. Yeah, that's so tiny. And so like a lot of other Native American languages, it is highly at risk of going extinct. Yes. Of disappearing. Yeah. This woman that the article and the short both focus on is the last native speaker of the language. Mm-hmm. Her name is Marie. And we actually have a little voice clip from the documentary of her speaking. So we'll play that. Yeah, <laughs> Trochid the Yamayan, Doshi de Marmach, 
Chatri, my Chatri, sin. Kumoy demarmat ho Chatri mach patronai anik. Yeah, so in the United States, there are about 130 Native American languages that are currently at risk, and 74 are considered critically endangered. So obviously with one speaker or one native speaker, mm-hmm. this is among that list of 74. Right. Or, or just a few, a few native speakers. Yeah, uh, Marie is about, I think she was... 86 years old. Okay. What's really interesting, though, is that she actually, recognizing that her language is critically endangered, she was like, you know what? I'm going to make a dictionary. So she made a dictionary of the Wukchamni language with her daughter. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny when you watch the documentary, actually, like, her daughter is like, yes, we spent seven years making this dictionary. And my mother was very specific about how she wanted these things. And uh, I think she got a little frustrated with me sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. And of course, she's an older woman. So she was not very familiar, I think, with computers. Mm -hmm. She was like a one finger typer. Yeah. So it took a long, long, long time. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. And plus, she was actually remembering from her childhood Mm -hmm. because she used to speak it with her grandmother. And then after her grandmother passed, she didn't speak it anymore. So she had to recall it on her own. And she was writing down the words for different objects and different things. So can you imagine that? Like, I mean, how old was she when her grandmother died? I don't I don't know if it said I'm not sure, but I think kind of fairly young yeah yeah i mean her daughter said she never saw her mother speak wukchamni so years and years later she's just like drawing this vocabulary from her brain Mm -hmm. it's really really incredible actually yeah it's amazing actually one thing that i also really liked from the short was she was telling a legend or like a folktale mm-hmm. from her childhood that she learned about how people ended up with human hands, lizard-like hands. Yeah. Yeah, so there was like a race between a wolf and a lizard, and in the end, the lizard won, or it got to the top of something faster. Or, yeah, see, I'm really awful at telling stories also. <laughs> but in the end, the lizard won whatever competition was happening, and it was like, okay, now humans are going to have lizard hands. So, Okay. I mean, that's like one of the cool things about these languages that unfortunately are dying is they also come with their own cultures, which is something that we talk about a lot. Yeah. But yeah, the Wukchumni legend of how humans ended up with their hands, I mean, that's really... It's really fun and interesting. Yeah, definitely. And I also just wanted to mention that before the documentary was filmed, they were teaching classes mm-hmm. to other Wukchumni people, like for free. Mm-hmm. And so there was also like a young man who's become pretty fluent. And the documentary is from about four years ago. Oh, wow. So. That's great. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And so it's like it's undergoing a revitalization Mm -hmm. like in the community. So that's cool. That's awesome. There's a really great podcast called The World in Words, and they have like a running series on 
languages that are being revitalized. So Irish is one of them. They've done a few mm-hmm. Native American languages. And I'm trying to remember what else, but yeah, it's been a while since I've checked them that's out. That's cool. Yeah, that's a really fun podcast. Yeah, really cool article. I like it. So you should check out the video. It's very interesting um, hearing her talk about her story. Yeah, definitely. And we will post the link to that on our website. Yep. Okay. So. (laughs) Gert Hofstede. Or I think people pronounce him Hofstede. I always say Hofstede because that's... The German pronunciation of this last name. And I actually had never heard it spoken aloud in English until recently. So let's talk about Gert Hofstede. He is a Dutch social psychologist. He's still alive, in fact. And oh, really? Yeah. He worked for IBM many years ago. And at IBM, he was able to gather all this data on 40-plus countries. And he developed these dimensions of how cultures differ among one another and it's just like i think i should make a huge caveat that this was kind of developed in the 80s so it's not perfect and i think they update it too they update his database but some people don't love his cultural dimensions i think it's really interesting obviously everything needs to be taken with a grain of salt because These are generalizations. They're not referring to specific individuals. And when you have a huge population of people who are supposed to be collectivistic, but then one person is like more individualistic, then that doesn't mean that this thing doesn't apply. It just means that there are individuals and outliers in every collection of data. Right, exactly. It's not a hard and fast rule. Right. And it is qualitative research yeah and it's quantifying these different things to numbers Mm -hmm. but of course it's not perfect where people we people have created it and people have valued these other societies everybody has bias so yeah those are our caveats i think yeah definitely and i think the purpose of it is to be able to understand better cultures that are different from your own because if you meet somebody and their mentality is just so incredibly different there's a reason for that it's not just because they're a weird person (laughs) (laughs) yeah our culture goes much deeper than most people know about right right and that's why these cultural indexes really just kind of blew my mind the first time i read about them like man that's a thing like anyway and you said you studied it in college too probably yeah Mm mm-hmm Yeah, in cross-cultural communication. Yeah. Where you studied it. Actually, I was just searching my computer, and it came up, like, in my syllabus for cross-cultural communication. Uh, I was like, cool. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Oh, that's cool. But this was, like, my second semester of college, and this was before I started downloading all my papers. Mm. Well, so I don't have them anymore. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, let's let's get into it. The first index we have is power distance. So the power distance index, it measures a culture's attitude toward inherent inequalities in the system. So if you have a high score on the power distance index, then more distance between levels of society are accepted 
and then low score would be less accepted distance and more movability among the classes of society. So we decided since we are both from the United States and living in Spain and China respectively, we would look at those for every category. Mm -hmm. And we'll also talk about some other countries along the way. Yeah, exactly. So the U.S. scored, it was 40%. And then Spain was 57%. China is really high at 80%. And then, yeah. yeah. So what do you think about Spain? This seems pretty right to me. What was it? 56, right? 57, yeah. Or 57, yeah. I mean... It's not the highest, like, it is possible to move status as well as they respect, to a certain degree, differences between uh, superiors and inferiors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, more so definitely than the United States. Yeah, yeah, I can see this. It's hard for me to really know, but I do feel like there is definitely a a class system and an income disparity. And I also live in Shenzhen, which is kind of a special place because it's very capitalistic in comparison to the rest of China. Mm. So there is some mobility here too. So I'm not really sure, but I can definitely see it in Korea. Korea got a 60% and Mm -hmm. um, it's not as high as China, but I definitely feel like people were kind of like in Spain, just okay with their place, you know? Yeah. So again, the high score means that more distance is accepted among different levels of society, and a low score means that it's less accepted. So the country with the lowest score was Austria, where supervisors and employees are almost treated as equals. Austria got an 11% on that index, and Malaysia got the highest score at 100%, where people like to be guided and directed to complete a task, and there's a very clear separation of employees and employers and that's very interesting (laughs) i did a couple of just different comparisons as well like four different countries at a time Mm -hmm. so i did one with australia south africa united kingdom and united states Mm -hmm. as you know all former parts of the british empire oh yeah predominantly english speaking just to see how they kind of compared for the most part In power distance, they all scored 35 was the lowest in the United Kingdom Mm -hmm. to South Africa was the highest at 49. So, but they were all in that range. Hmm. That's interesting. So I have like three different ones, like the Australia, South Africa, United Kingdom, United States, Germany, Italy, Spain, Sweden, and Colombia, Egypt, Nigeria, and Serbia. Ooh, interesting. And from that grouping, the power distance was fairly high among all of them, Hmm. with Colombia as the lowest at 67. Wow. And Serbia the highest at 86. That is really high. So this was an interesting grouping. What about Germany? Germany, 35. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was below the U.S. And Sweden lower at 31. Mm Mm-hmm. So basically, what does this mean? So power distance, so if it's a low score... Like, for example, Sweden at 31. So the hierarchy that they use is more for convenience. It's not for imposing power. Control is kind of decentralized. People don't like to be controlled that much. Mm -hmm. Communication is a bit more direct, I think. Mm -hmm. And it's participative. So an inferior could have a very good say in a conversation. Yeah. 
as opposed to maybe in a higher scoring one where the superiors would be more directing the communication at the inferiors. Yeah, I like that. So yeah, Hofstede made these dimensions for the corporate culture. So people are able to kind of transition more easily. So this matters a lot in situations of like employer and employee. Mm -hmm. It also says in the example of Sweden, employees expect to be consulted Mm -hmm. instead of a high power distance when the superiors would probably be making the decisions without consulting. Yeah, it's more authoritarian, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's, I think it's a bit more informal. Mm-hmm. If you think about a big power distance, you're going to be a lot more formal with your boss, for example. Yeah. Like, you would never call them by first name, for example. Okay, let's go to the second one. Mm-hmm. The second one is individualism. So this one is actually pretty, even if you haven't heard of these dimensions, you've probably heard of individualism versus collectivism. Yeah. So looking at the scores for our three selected countries, the U.S. actually has the highest score of 91% individualism. People who are familiar with U.S. culture probably won't be that surprised by it. Yeah. China was 20%, so very low in comparison. And then Spain was right in the middle at 51%. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I was in Spain for like eight months, so I didn't really learn the culture as well as you have at this point, definitely. Do you feel like it's an interesting mix? Yeah, you can definitely see aspects of more Latin culture in Spain than other parts of like Western Europe or western well like united states or canada or something like that Mm -hmm. like for example families are very strong and you identify pretty strongly with the group yeah but it's not defining okay yes yeah so a low score means that there's a greater concern for the group like you said and actually, Guatemala has the lowest score at 6%, mm-hmm. which means there are just these really strong in-groups with unquestioning loyalty. South Korea is even lower than China at 18%, which I totally see. Like, I felt like it was impossible to really understand these in-groups in Korea. And then mm-hmm. the highest score, oh yeah, I said is the U.S. But if you have a high score, that means the culture maintains a high degree of interdependence among its members. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the more individualistic you are, the more you're concerned more about yourself and your immediate family. Right. Collectivist would be your in-group, so it might be the extended family. It might be part of the work group. It's not going to be everybody. Right. But generally you would do stuff more for the greater good of that group. Yeah, So it was interesting looking at the English-speaking, like, former British colonies group. Australia, United Kingdom, and United States were really, really close. 89, 90, and 91. Wow. That's amazing. And South Africa is a bit lower at 65, which kind of makes sense because it's a more diversified country. There's a lot of different cultures mixing. Yeah. And the lowest was the Colombia, Egypt, Nigeria, and Serbia. Colombia was the lowest at 13. Man. Egypt and Serbia, 25, and Nigeria, 30. Man. So it seems like cultures that have traditionally held either like the family, the extended family, 
the tribes have more collectivistic ideals. And I think Spain kind of falls somewhere in between. It's Europe, but it's also more Latin. So right. it makes sense. Like Guatemala, you said, is the lowest. Colombia is really low. Mm-hmm. I read Ecuador is one of the lowest. Yeah. And several other ones in South America. Well, and there's also a lot of... Um... A lot of Middle Eastern influence in Spain. Yeah. And that is a really highly collectivistic culture as well, as a general rule. Yeah. So that could have something to do with it as well. It is a big... Spain is such an interesting mix of cultures to me, because, like, Germany, you've got, like, Germanic tribes, and that's basically what happened in Germany, is the Germanic tribes and the Romans. And then, like, Sweden is the Vikings, I guess. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then you have, like, Spain. There's so many people coming from all different directions in Spain. Yeah. And they were also an empire as well. Yeah. So then they spread their culture, which mixed with the native cultures in South America. Yeah. They spread their seed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the next one we have is masculinity. Masculinity is not the number of men in a culture. Masculinity versus femininity is is based around competitiveness. So a highly masculine culture will value competitiveness and achievements and success versus a feminine culture, which puts more emphasis on liking what you do and caring for others and striving for a higher quality of life, not necessarily standing out. Right. And the highest score on this one was Japan at 95%. Wow. It's a very hierarchical, deferential, patriarchal society. Yeah, it's really high. Actually, because of these values, it's harder for female employees to rise in companies because they have family commitments. And, I mean, that's why, like, you've probably heard about these Japanese... Employees working themselves to death, literally, with overtime. Wow. Because, yeah, like, they'll do 80 hours of overtime. So, wait, is that even possible? Yeah. Well, then they're just at their office at their office for 24 hours a day or something like that. Yeah. It's really, really important for them to be the best. And then the lowest was Sweden. Mm. They got 5%. I'm pretty sure Sweden was the first country to make paternity leave a thing something like that (laughs) yeah that sounds right yeah they're pretty famous for having you know a really high quality of life yeah and you think of like work-life balance oh yeah they also implemented you know the six-hour work day and right that's true uh in sweden people are managed through consensus compromise discussion and negotiation That sounds about right. Yeah. So the U.S. got 62%, so more towards the masculine side. Mm -hmm. Spain, 42%. And China, 66%. Mm -hmm. I was actually surprised here. South Korea at 39%. Yeah, that surprised me too. I would think of Korea as a more competitive society. Definitely. I mean, they have that big exam that's like... The whole country stops, pretty much. Yeah. The kids just, they kill themselves studying. Sorry to use that analogy twice in one topic. But no, they actually, I've heard, like, isn't it like a lot of kids actually commit suicide on yeah yeah on that day? <laughs> right. Or the day after, or after they get their results or something. Right. Well, this is another area where I'm not totally sure that it's 100% accurate. I mean, like I said, this... 
data was developed in the 80s. I don't know how much of it has been updated, but maybe it's not only in jobs slash school, but I do feel like it should be higher in Korea, just from what I learned living there. Yeah, I thought it was a much harder working society, even than the U.S. Like, people are very, very driven. Yeah. Well, in the United States... Americans have this value to strive to be the best that you can, the winner takes all, mm-hmm. but they like to show their success. So it's not necessarily being successful, but being able to show your success. Ah, that's interesting. So they focus a lot on setting precise targets. They have mm-hmm. really short... Oh, goals. Short-term short goals. goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and goals that can show progress. Mm-hmm. or success i buy that yeah for sure showing your success instead of just doing it you know right yeah the u.s is definitely a masculine culture in that way Mm-hmm. this one was interesting the kind of european one that i have with germany italy and spain and sweden yeah sweden's totally the outlier at five <laughs> and italy's at 70. Wow. And Germany is at 66. So. Yeah. Germany is closer to the U.S., yeah. Actually, the same mm-hmm. as China. Yeah, I would imagine Italy to be a little bit almost machismo. Like machista, yeah. Machista, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I can see how showing your success in Italy could be uh, perceived as having success as well. Mm-hmm. Let's see what it says about Italy. A highly success-oriented and driven. Children are taught at an early age that competition is good and to be a winner is important in one's life. Hmm. So they show success by acquiring status symbols such as a beautiful car, a big house, a yacht, and travels to exotic countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can totally see that. Yeah. Italians are very famous for their luxury cars, their high-end fashion, high-end mm-hmm. quality products as well. Yeah. I actually have Mexico pulled up here also, mm-hmm. and it's 69, so really close to Italy. It says, people live in order to work. Managers are expected to be decisive and assertive. The emphasis is on equity, competition, and performance, and conflicts are resolved by fighting them out. So, huh. yeah. Okay. So very similar, masculine, but in different ways, I guess. Yeah. Colombia also scored at a 64. Wow, okay. So it does seem that the countries in Latin America that we've talked about have been at a fairly high ranking. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, countries that have, like, a traditionally masculine or, like, that value the man, mm-hmm. the masculine qualities. Nigeria rated at 60. Yeah. Makes sense. I think so. Okay, the next one we have is uncertainty avoidance. I actually really like this one. I think... This one is kind of the hardest to grasp Mm -hmm. at first. The definition is the extent to which the members of a culture feel threatened by ambiguous or unknown situations and have created beliefs and institutions that try to avoid these. Yeah, with a low score of uncertainty avoidance, it means that the culture is more comfortable with not knowing everything and kind of taking things as they come Mm -hmm. as well as adopting new things or technology Mm -hmm. cultures with a high uncertainty avoidance feel more uncomfortable with uncertainty so there tend to be more rules or more laws more structure Mm -hmm. to prevent this uncertainty 
Right. Which doesn't mean that they necessarily follow all the rules, but they're in place. Exactly, yeah. So cultures with higher scores tend to be often more religious cultures. Yeah. And then cultures with lower scores are more comfortable with ambiguity. So they're okay with not having all of the information in place before they make a decision. Mm-hmm. So the highest score we have is Greece. Yep. So people are known to try to make the safest, most conservative decisions there at 100%. And then Singapore got the lowest score. So people there are more open to change and innovation and more inclined to open-ended decision-making. There's also a lower sense of urgency there. I really like what it says about Greek culture here. Yeah? And I forgot about this part. Usually cultures that have a higher uncertainty avoidance tend to be more expressive in order to make sure everything is super clear and so they show their emotions more. Ah. So it says, Greeks are very passionate and demonstrative people. Emotions are easily shown in their body language. Hmm. And then it talks about the Greek myth about the birth of the world. So at the beginning, there was only chaos, which is a lot of uncertainty, of course. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then Kronos, time, came in to organize life and make it easier to manage. So here <laughs> we're cutting down on all the uncertainty and making everything predictable. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. So should we talk about our countries? Yeah. Our countries? Yeah. Actually, I am so interested in that because China is at 30%, which is pretty low. Mm-hmm. And chi- the Chinese market is known to be early adapters of stuff. So That makes sense. Yeah. So like everything, you do pretty much everything by QR code here. Like QR code caught on and then everybody was using it. Mm. So like there's a lot of new technology. VR is pretty big here. I mean, I, I can't think of a lot of stuff off the top of my head, but yeah, China got a pretty low score and that's not very surprising. Spain was high. This is the one that made the most sense to me. <laughs> really? <laughs> this it was actually like a light bulb. I was like, of course, that makes so much sense. Oh, that's so cool. Why? Well, if you think about, like, young people, especially, and I've had this conversation with so many expats, like, Mm -hmm. young people tend to, like, make friends early in life, and then those are their friends Mm -hmm. for life, and so there's no, like, uncertainty, those are your friends. Mm -hmm. You usually stay in the same town if possible. Okay, sometimes people go to study at university, then maybe they have to move to a bigger city to get a job. So Mm -hmm. I've met a lot of people who are from other towns, but they work in Madrid. Yeah. And most weekends, a lot of them go home to be with their friends, with Uh, their family, where it's like, you know exactly what's there and who's there and what you're going to do. You know, that is so interesting because... South Korea was 85%, right up there with Spain, and it was very, very similar there. People people usually grew up in one place and then stayed there. Mm-hmm. And people live with their parents here until they're oh, yeah. 29, 30. Yeah. Part of that is economic, of course. Right, right. But a lot of it's cultural. Mm-hmm. And the huh. U.S.? 46%. Is it 20? 46, 46 yeah. yeah. Yeah, U.S., 46%. Yeah, it's right in the middle, right? That makes sense to me. So the U.S. 
are fairly tolerant and accepting of new ideas and innovation. Mm-hmm. That's actually a pretty big ideal in the United States is innovation, innovation. Yeah. Try something new. Yeah, you're right. It does say here that 9-11 has created a lot of fear in American society with regards, I guess, to the unknown. Mm-hmm. And so that has created, I think, a willingness for the U.S. government to be more monitoring. Yeah. Yeah, let's take a look. Oh, yeah, your lists. If there's anything interesting at the other ones. Mm -hmm. Uncertainty avoidance in Sweden was 29, so pretty low. Oh, yeah. I bet it was high in Germany. In Germany, it was 65. In Italy, 75. Oh, wow, yeah. In Colombia and Egypt, it's 80. Wow. Serbia, 92. So very high. Yeah. And in Nigeria, 55. So that kind of makes sense. Colombia might have a high one. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about Germany, actually. Like, Germans are very uncomfortable with change in the market. And, I mean, as a general rule, obviously, not all Germans, guys, but they are definitely, like, a stick-to-what-we-know kind of people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, especially with products. Like, why would I try a new product when I know that this is what always works? And very much like there are rules to society. They're not a very religious society, mm-hmm. but they have rules and you stick to them. And it's in all aspects of society, the culture and the language. Yeah. I mean, definitely you can see that they like to follow their rules and that mm-hmm. makes everything easier easier functioning society and everything yeah however they are one of the i would say early adopters and the country maybe where they use the most solar power that's true yeah so in some things they're quite innovative right how do you say that word innovative innovative yeah is that a british pronunciation i think it is yeah i think you just (laughs) sorry british people I just hate when I lose my own way of speaking. Innovative. I said at the weekend the other day, and I was pissed off. Slowly, she's becoming more British. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's keep going. Next, we have long-term orientation. So every society maintains links with its past while dealing with the challenges of the present and the future. Cultures with a low score view societal change with suspicion, they're more traditional. And cultures that have a high score encourage thrifts and effort in modern education as a way to prepare for the future. So, guess what country has the highest score? Korea. Hmm. The one that invests in all the modern education. <laughs> the one where kids go to school until 11 p.m. Poor babies. Mm-hmm. So they got 100%. That makes sense. Yeah. If it's a low score, then they view societal change with suspicion. That makes sense if it's a traditional society. Mm-hmm. The U.S., 26%. Pretty traditional. Yeah. I would say Americans tend to view societal change with suspicion, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that includes, you know, things like abortion. Yeah. I mean, they were one of the last countries to abolish slavery. So, Mm -hmm. okay, this is what the thing says. Americans are prone to analyze new information and check whether it's true. So I think it's a bit more cautious. 
Mm -hmm. They're very practical, but kind of maybe cautious in implementing new things. Mm -hmm. I also think about climate change kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. like cultures with a higher long-term orientation score might be more prone to look toward the future of society, including climate change. So, like, Germany had a pretty high score, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Germany has 83. Yeah, that's right, yeah. That makes sense with the solar panels and everything. Exactly, yeah. In Korea, they take pretty good care of their environment, too, I think. Koreans care a lot about the environment. Mm-hmm. Not that Americans don't care, but as a culture, we haven't gotten our stiff together, I think. Yeah. Spain kind of scores on the middle at about 48. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of like a, ah, the future is the future, you know. Yeah. They're yeah. not very good at environmental stuff either. Right. The example that I heard about Korea also was that... Um, this long-term orientation is visible in corporate culture mm. in that corporations serve shareholders long-term, not just quarterly, which is kind of more the case in the States where people focus on quarterly results and like immediate right. stock prices. And also corporations in Korea focus on society at large for generations and not just short-term results. So Right. That makes sense. Cool. Yeah, as we said, Germany was really high on the high end. Mm-hmm. Spain was on the low end of the European one. Mm-hmm. And then Sweden and Italy fell in the middle. Oh, okay. Actually, Italy a bit higher, 61. Hmm. In the English-speaking group, the UK was the highest at 51. And Australia, the lowest, actually, at 21. Huh. And then, oh, wow, these are all really low. Egypt, 7. So that would mean that, yes, they're much more resistant to societal change. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. And much more religious as well. Right. Colombia and Nigeria at 13, also quite religious countries. Yeah. And Yeah, traditional. Exactly. And then Serbia at 52, somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Mexico also got a 24. So okay. people are concerned with establishing the absolute truth. And exhibit great respect for tradition. So yeah, and I think that the more religious probably a country is, the more resistant to change they might be, mm-hmm. because religion has established certain rules, and if you follow those rules, then yeah, for example, the Catholic Church is right. pretty traditional and established rules, not easy to change. Mm-hmm. That's true, actually. I mean. There is a group of Catholic priests in the U.S. who are women, and they're trying to, like, make that happen. Like, they're trying to help the church evolve with the time so it doesn't disappear completely. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, so far, no headway on that. Even though the Pope is pretty progressive, he's still totally anti-women priests. Yeah, and even for this, you know, a lot of the stuff that he's progressive about, he gets so much backlash. Oh, I know, I know. (laughs) Because the church as a whole is not progressive. Right, right. You feel like every time he releases a statement, the Vatican's like, no, he was just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes, that's true. And actually, I read that the United States is one of the only quote-unquote Caucasian 
countries, Mm. aside from the Soviet Union, that had an increase in the 20th century of prevalence of religion. Yeah, that's. I think I remember seeing that too. Which is interesting. Yeah, because in Europe, people are not really very religious. Mm -hmm. Italy, yes. But even in Spain, like... Yeah, I remember... In Spain, I learned that, like, 99% of Spaniards will be like, yeah, I'm Catholic, but they almost never actually step foot inside a church. I don't know anyone who goes to church on Sunday. Right. It's, like, a quaint idea for a lot of Europeans in general mm-hmm. that Americans go to church on Sunday. <laughs> it's like, oh, how cute and, like, old-fashioned. It's, like, older people, mostly. Yeah, I wonder what's going to happen in 100 years. Whereas in the United States, there's a huge prevalence, and I think also Latin America, where mm. that's strongly Catholic. Yeah. Strong presence of youth in the church. Right. So that's interesting. That is super interesting. Okay, so we have one more. It is indulgence. Mm. Indulgence is the extent to which people try to control their desires and impulses based on the way they were raised. So I actually like this one a lot, like... Basically, how much does your culture like to party or value partying? (laughs) So if there is a high score, there's a willingness to realize impulses and have a good time. Like Mexico has a really high score. It's 97%. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And like I'm focused on Mexico also because I actually put together a cultural training in my old job based on Mexico and I read a lot of this stuff. And uh-huh. I learned that in Mexico, a lot of times you'll, people will like get half a day off to like go watch a soccer game or like the company will like shut down so that people can like go watch a big important match. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Pakistan got like a 0%. So there's an emphasis on suppressing gratification and there's more regulation of people's conduct and behavior and stricter social norms. So if you have a low indulgence score, Yeah, gratifying what you want is seen as, like, wrong, basically. Right, like, morally wrong, or it causes some type of guilt, like they feel bad for doing what they desire. Right, yeah. It also says, like, a lower score, so more restraint. Mm -hmm. It has a tendency towards cynicism or pessimism. Yeah. And whereas the opposite is true, higher indulgence score is more related with optimism and having a good time, I guess. Yeah. So with our controls, we have U.S. at 68%, so fairly indulgent. Mm -hmm. Not quite as high as Mexico. No. Spain, 44%. Actually, I was quite surprised about this one. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's the Catholic guilt in Spain. Maybe, but people like to party here. Yeah, they do. And it seems like in China 24%. Yeah. China Yeah, I mean it's I feel like people don't stay out past 11 here for the most part because Chinese medicine says that you need to go to sleep and wake up at regular times and so people take that really seriously. They're a mm, high interesting. long-term orientation culture, but I don't have very many Chinese female friends who like to party. In fact, I have one, Elsa, and she's lived abroad. She had a Spanish boyfriend, actually. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I feel like Chinese culture is not a big party culture, for sure. Mm -hmm. They'll get drunk. They can do it, but it's not on the reg. Okay. From the English-speaking group that I have, 
Australia was the highest at 71. Hmm. And yeah, the US 68, yeah. United Kingdom 69. And South Africa was a little lower at 63, but still pretty similar. Right. Still kind of like a little repressed by UK culture, Protestantism. Yeah. I mean, UK were higher than the US, just a little bit, but all of them were pretty close. Yeah, that's interesting. Italy got the lowest, actually, which is huh. surprising. Huh. The lowest of the my little European group. Wow, that is surprising. It makes me sad for Italians. Because yeah, I think of them as enjoying good food good wine yeah but maybe they're more about you know duty to doing what you should do instead of what you would like to do right i mean and i don't know something tells me that religion comes into play there as well that's probably true Mm -hmm. what about germany how did they do 40 yeah spain 44 and sweden 78 hey sweden I don't know. I'm ascribing positive and negative qualities to this score, but it that doesn't mean that one of them is good or bad. I'm just a highly indulgent person. <laughs> well, I was surprised by Sweden because I would have assumed a much lower score, actually. I don't know. I would have seen them from my maybe bias as more dutiful and more doing yeah. what you ought to do instead of being more practical. But maybe mm. that's not really what this is. Well, we did learn that they value a high quality of life in the masculinity score. That is true. That is true. So It says uh, they possess a positive attitude and have a tendency towards optimism. Mm-hmm. And they place a higher degree of importance on leisure time, yeah. act as they please, and spend money as they wish. Mm. I guess that makes sense because they have lots of time because they've established that a lot of leave time. I think they get like 40 days of vacation time or something outrageous like that. Okay. Like 35 or 40 days, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Salaries are very good. Right. They get lots of good benefits from the social system. So, okay, makes sense. Yeah. And in the kind of mixed group, we have Egypt as the lowest at four. Huh. So they're very, I guess, resisting impulses i can see that i mean i can see i mean all the egyptians i've met have been fantastic wonderful very fun people Mm -hmm. but i can also see them like feeling like their um duty comes above their playtime pleasure yeah duty comes above pleasure yeah yeah serbia got 28 and then Colombia and Nigeria, 83, 84. Oh, wow. That's super high. Yeah. Hmm. So I can see that too, like more valuing, you know, quality of life, family time. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I love it. It's so interesting. Thank you for talking about this with me. Yes, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> yes. I've really enjoyed lear- being surprised by quite a few of them. Yeah. I think it's always good when you can like challenge maybe different conceptions i agree yeah and i mean again like this isn't the bible of cultural communication no but it does give you a really cool perspective and it's something that i like to consult to when i come across a weird cultural clash Mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting to be like oh why does this person think that this is so important oh they're from this place and this place puts a high value on x y and z so yeah i definitely feel like i can understand maybe a bit better why Spanish people are the way that they are in some ways. Yeah. And so that's helpful, I think. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, me too. Especially for me coming to China. I had lived in Korea, and so I expected it to be very similar. And then when I looked at the differences before I came to China, I was like, oh, that's really weird. Oh, that's really weird. They are actually very different places. Not in every way, but for example, uncertainty avoidance. China is so much lower than Korea. That is a huge difference through 30 versus 85%. So I definitely thought that I knew a lot. Yeah. Cool. Well, if you have any opinions on what we've talked about today, then please give them to us. We want mm -hmm. to hear them. You can comment in the show notes of this episode, or you can, you know, literally anywhere on social media. We're there. You just have to, like, find us and then give us your comments, please. <laughs> yeah. And we'll try our best to respond quickly. Yes. So, you know what time it is, Rachel. Time for my Lost in Translation. <laughs> <laughs> so, as I said in the beginning, I was in Germany for two weeks, and I just got back last week. Mm -hmm. I don't speak German other than, like, some numbers and some foods. Mm -hmm. And you can sing it really well, also. I can sing it, yeah. So, also, I can kind of fake sometimes the pronunciation because I took diction, mm -hmm. but that kind of is awkward because then people would maybe think that I speak actual German, and I was just reading something off the menu, and then they would ask me a question, I would just literally stare at them <laughs> and be like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> And so my boyfriend, Emilio, he took German for a year in Venezuela, but he hasn't spoken it for several years and he was kind of an elementary level. So one thing that kept happening is when we were trying to save money or whatever, we would be like, okay, we don't want anything to drink with this meal, like for lunch or something. And so he was like trying to remember his conjugations and everything. So he was saying like, we don't want anything to drink. And every single time, this happened maybe three or four times, the person would just stare at him like he was like a goat speaking or something. Like an alien, just, what? And I, I don't really know if he was saying it wrong or <laughs> if it was just, yeah, like a, a social thing that's really weird. And that mm -hmm. people just didn't understand, like, why you wouldn't get a drink, you know, to save six bucks, like. Right, yeah. Yeah, or seven totally. bucks, like. Yeah, more like seven or eight, I guess. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, beers were like three fifty, three ninety. so, yeah. Crazy. Yeah, it was really uncomfortable, <laughs> and there was always, like, a really awkward silence. <laughs> and he would, like, try and repeat it. <laughs> And I think usually we just ended up getting a drink because it was just too <laughs> awkward to continue. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there were a couple other times, yeah, that I would order something or I would ask somebody something and they would respond like really quickly or ask me a question back and I would just like have a deer in the headlights exactly deer in the headlights and then I didn't want to respond anymore in German because I was afraid they would just like just repeat it so I would just be like yeah what 
<laughs> and we probably should have talked a little bit beforehand so I could be I could help you with like, do you speak English? Yeah, we that was like our go-to phrase. Okay, that's good. That's good. But when we were in the middle of a conversation, it was just uh and there was a time, I think it was the last day, we were in Munich, and this lady stopped us on the street, and she was just like, hello, and then she just like went into a speech for like 45 seconds to a minute, no way. and we were both just staring at her like, <laughs> mouths agape, just looking like fools, and then she stops, and she's like, do you speak German? <laughs> and we were like... No. <laughs> and there was no time to stop her because she was just very right, into right. asking her question. And she was like, oh, okay. So she repeated the whole thing in English. And she was like, oh, wow. oh like, I ran out of phone battery and I'm looking for this restaurant. I know it's around here, but I can't remember the name of it. And it's a vegetarian mm-hmm. restaurant. But you probably don't have data here. And we were like, actually, we do. So <sighs> she was like, oh, could you search for it? And I was like, Sure. It's right. It's like two blocks away. She's oh, like, wow. Thank you so much. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, and then you found a new vegetarian restaurant. Yeah, we looked at it, but it was very, very expensive. Oh, it okay. looked nice, though. Mm. Oh, that's cool. Nice. <laughs> that's funny. So those are some of the, the highlights. That's awesome. I'm sure there were more. <laughs> we, we were like idiots everywhere we went. I know the feeling very, very well. <laughs> Yeah, it's been, I think, a while since I've been in a country where I didn't speak the language. It's weird, yeah? Yeah. I kind of forgot what it's like. Yeah, you feel like a baby. (laughs) Yeah, literally an infant. Because my only words were, like, as I said, some numbers and some foods (laughs) and, like, please and thank you and hello and goodbye. Yeah. So that's, like, a one-year-old's vocabulary. Basically, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, I'm getting a lot better in China, but that was me for like four months. Good job. You did it. You got through it and you made it back safe to Spain too. Yeah. And Germany, most, like so many people speak English anyway. Yeah. It's not the hardest country to be in. Yeah. But it's always nice when you can like, you know, speak the actual language. Right. And not have to be like that tourist being like, speak English to me. Right. Gives your brain a little bit of a break, actually, when you hear a language you understand. In China, when I hear any language I understand, I'm like, ah, even if it's not my native language, it's like, okay, I can make something out of this, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, even Italian. I found Italian... A couple times. Yeah. One of the hotel owners was Italian. Yeah. Even though I'm not that great at Italian, Mm -hmm. I did study it for a year, and it's very similar to Spanish. Right. So I could easily have a conversation with the hotel guy in Italian, and he always spoke Italian to me after that. Oh, cool. And at a pizza place, the owner was Italian. He was kind of speaking a mixture of German and Italian, but the Italian was like, please speak Italian to me. I at least understand more. Yeah. Yeah. Or can respond more, I guess. Because actually German is, it's not that hard to understand if you kind of know a few words and then you're like, oh, okay, I more or less kind of get basic, basic things. But I don't know, Italian, I just like feel like at least I can say something in Spanish and they'll probably understand. Yeah. And your ears kind of gravitate to that, like, ah, oh, yes, I can, I can do something. Yeah. yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Thank you so much for that Lost in Translation moment, Rachel. No problem. <laughs> to submit your Lost in Translation moment, go to our website, please. <laughs> you can record it on our contact section or just send us a voice memo. Yeah. Our email is languagenerdsdoearth at gmail.com, mm-hmm. and we would love to hear from you. Yes, we would. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you are. Help your friends subscribe to the podcast, too, if you think they would like it, which, of course, they will. <laughs> Follow us on social media. We're on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. And please leave us a review if you get a moment. They really help us become more visible and help more people find the show. Mm -hmm. So if you like it, go ahead and spread the word. That would be awesome. Yeah, that'd be really cool. And our next episode is going to be about travel. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. And have a great week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Hello, everybody. I'm Patrice. And I'm Rachel. No, I want to do that again. I hated that so much. Oh, I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I'm keeping mine. Okay. And I'm Rachel. That's fine.